Greetings, my name's Andrew Sumner. My grandfather, Pop Smythe, bought me my first comic book in Liverpool, England when I was three years old, and I spent the next 50 years hurtling around the pop culture kaleidoscope, first as a fan and then as a journalist, editor, publisher and presenter. Along the way, I met a bunch of interesting people who will be joining me here. Creators, performers, professionals and public servants. We live in divisive, fractured times, but art and popular culture connect people from all viewpoints and from all walks of life. I'm often struck by the passions people enjoy, that they can set aside their differences for and agree on, whatever those passions are, whether I share them or not. And that spark, that moment of instinctive, connective agreement, that's what I call a hard agree. Welcome to Hard Agree. My name's Andrew Sumner, and uh, I'm here with a very special guest, my old friend, you may have heard of her, Evangeline Lilly, the star of Lost. Hey, everyone. The star of Lost, the star of The Hobbit, the star of Ant-Man, the star of Avengers. More so than just about any actor I can think of, like ticking off three major prongs of the current pop culture experience. How are you, Evangeline? I'm great. I'm great. How are you, Andrew? I am very well, thanks, mate. Uh, I'm very, I'm very well. All the better for seeing you, mate. Uh, and uh, of course, oh. I'm, I'm here in London, and and you're there in a beautiful, lush Hawaii. You know, London is always kind is also kind of lush at the moment because we're having a bit of a, a warm snap. Um, but on my way to London, and I can't wait to see you face to face. Oh, me neither. I'm looking forward to that too, because of course you're just about to uh, come over here to my home, and uh, not very far away from where I live either, and uh, film the new uh, film the new Ant Man movie, the third Ant Man movie, uh, Quantumania. Uh, and the Wasp movie. <clears throat> uh, oh yeah, sorry, the third Ant Man and the Wasp movie. That's a bit of a uh, what a, what a, what an incredibly basic error. The third Ant Man and the Wasp movie, of course. <laughs> Well, it's so confusing because it's technically the second Ant-Man and the Wasp movie and yeah. the third Ant-Man movie. And it's just a hell of a lot easier and less of a mouthful to say Ant-Man, but Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yeah. <laughs> of course, always the Wasp and Ant-Man. So <laughs> yeah. what's, what has that journey been like for you, being part of the part of the Marvel firmament after already starring into like an amazing, globally well-received, iconic pop culture pieces of entertainment well it seems silly doesn't it, it just it seems it's like little... an embarrassment of riches right <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> it seems like something you can't even speak to it's sort of just like oh god i don't know what happened and here i am but i i think it's been a journey of uh, and it's sort of a classic hero's journey or an odyssey of reticence and reluctance and and sort of rejection of this crazy world of fandom and fanfare and um, fame and all that stuff that came very, very suddenly with Lost and with Lost being such a sort of cult phenomenon um, to a place eventually, you know, of where I am now of acceptance and um, gratitude and understanding a little more, I think a lot more understanding of what it means to be a part of these things, um, as I have been vocal about in the past, uh, but am not, am not lauding or proud of. I I really wasn't a sci-fi nerd. I wasn't a, a comic book geek. I was I was a fantasy dork. Like I I loved fantasy and I loved fairies and 
Um, you know, The Hobbit was one of my favorite books growing up. But I just wasn't entrenched in the world at all in a way that I could understand what I was a part of. I, I really didn't understand it. Um, I And because I didn't understand it, I always felt, despite being in the heart of it, very outside of it and really uncertain of my place in it. And so what I did this, I did this thing that was sort of a knee jerk reaction at the beginning of my career, uh, which was to just stay where I was comfortable, which is what I knew, which was, I'm just like you. I'm no different than anyone else. And, you know, just the sort of small town Canadian girl, every man thing, which was all I knew how to do. It was just who I was. Um, and then I started to really, it took a long time, but it, a slow evolution happened where I started to understand that people want to have things to look to that are aspirational. I think it's really the whole purpose of the royal family in England yeah. is that we all need something to aspire to, to hope towards and to believe in. And if that is a movie star for you, that's a movie star for you. If that is a prince for you, that's a prince for you. If that is a superhero for you, that's a superhero for you. If that is a, a prophet or a God for you, that's a prophet or a God for you. But whatever it is, that's what we're all looking for. And, and I really struggled because I felt like, but I'm not that. I'm just human. I'm flawed and fucked up and not, no, you should not put your faith in me. That's a very bad idea. Um, and yet I knew that I loved with all my heart. I loved strangers. I loved people. I had this deep, deep heart for humanity. So it was a very double-edged, weird experience to feel like, I feel like I'm in the right place because I just want to spread love. But I also feel like I don't know how to accept all this attention because it feels like an ego-driven thing and, and a place that is dangerous and that I don't want to go to. And so, you know, it's it's taken me on an incredible journey, this career of mine that was very unexpected. I I wanted to be a missionary and here I ended up in Hollywood, you know, yeah. the Satan's den, right? And I and I think that it was the place that I needed to be to grow in who I was and and to go through the trials and challenges I've gone through in order to, you know, evolve and 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 grow spiritually. The thing I, I, th I think I think is fascinating about your career is, is it's almost an exercise in kind of doubling down. So so you, you you gain worldwide attention in this kind of epic TV show that's a genuine breath of fresh air that is genuinely unusual and unique and a work of art. Yeah, they just want to project and say it had nothing to do with me. Yeah, <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> the brilliant writers and creators. Yeah. Well, yeah. Two thumbs up, Dave Lendeloff and all those guys. Yeah. 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 Um, and But you're in the middle of this amazing experience, yeah. And a lot of people would be in the middle of that amazing experience. And then the, then 10 years later, they'd be gone, man, I remember when I was on that amazing TV show, and that's what people remember me for. You'd have been Kate Austin for life, right? You know, that's what happens to a lot of actors. You, you do this great great thing and you have a great career but you're always going to be Kate Austin but then a couple of years later you're then right bang in the middle of the pop culture zeitgeist in the biggest thing at that moment in time which is Peter Jackson's Hobbit trilogy right and you're at the forefront of that and it's like man you know how can you be riding more of a crest of a wave and something that was very different to what first made you famous first 
first gave you access to fame. And and something that that really uh, touches all your literary touchstones, because I know you're a, a vociferous reader and you love your books. And so for something to be so successful and all pervasive, but to be fundamentally rooted in a great book, that must have felt amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you know, and the two the two experiences are very different. And just to like round up my thoughts, so you're at that point and you finish that off and it's like, well, man, I got two bites of that really weird lightning in a bottle cherry, you know, which almost never happens. And now I look forward to whatever other acting roles I'm going to do and to look back on those touchstones <laughs> only to have, you know, the, the biggest thing rock along right now and to be in the middle of, you know, one of the great pop culture revolutions that the stuff that I've loved all my life for it to take over comic book culture, to take over global popular culture. And not only that, to do work that's genuinely of a, a very high standard in the middle of that. And then to be in the middle of this kind of quality pop culture tornado that's Avengers Endgame, that, that, which, funnily enough, recalls, you know, so many, you know, you mentioned briefly about your faith, recalls so many of the really impressive vistas that come with religion and faith. To be in the middle of that, this almost like tale of these clashing gods and whatnot, that just must have been an amazing experience. It must must be an amazing experience. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's cool to hear you sort of lay it out like that because I'm only just in a place now in my life where I'm starting to have it all kind of sink in. Um, yeah. I think when you're on the road and you're on, you know, you're strapped into the roller coaster, it's sort of hard to gain perspective and and you just you have your your small experiences and you know there's sort of a greater picture there's like more going on but you're still so entrenched in your own little experience you know and so um yeah yeah i i was grateful when i ended up uh in the hobbit and the marvel worlds that i wasn't at the heart or the center of them like i was grateful to be a peripheral character because it was so intense being in the eye of the storm of lost and, um, and extremely uncomfortable for me. And I really love, I actually love being a part of it, but still being able to sort of hold myself a little bit outside of it and watch the circus, you know, and watch like history in the making. And I remember when I did uh, Avengers Endgame and we all gathered for the wedding scene. I don't know if you're familiar with this lore, but um, Tony Stark's funeral scene was being dubbed the wedding scene because they were trying to keep it so secret and under wraps. That he, they were even telling the rest of the cast, oh, it's a wedding scene. We all knew it wasn't. Like <laughs> Information gets around. But when I showed up for that, it was a real pinch me moment in my life and career where I'm standing on a set with 40 other bona fide movie stars yeah. who at this point in time, because of the trajectory of the Marvel universe are rock stars in their own right, all of them. And I felt like, I love that I'm just with a bunch of science geeks. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like me and Paul and Michael and Michelle, we were like our own little nucleus. <laughs> like hovered amidst all these rock stars. Of like, we're kind of dorky and smart. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I really, um, it's helped me gain perspective. I think when you're really the core of it, like, you know, when you're the Misha Barton on the OC or, you know, you're, you're like Tony Stark in the Avengers, you know, you know yeah. you're, 
Robert Downey Jr. It's a very different experience than when you get to sort of be one of the hangers on on the outside. And, and that's really fun for me and has given me license to just sit back and enjoy it. I, 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 that's it's it's really lovely to hear you talk about it in that way because it struck me when I was watching that scene, which, which I take it you probably filmed in Atlanta. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So was it blisteringly hot when you did that moment? Um, it it was really hot, but we shot most of it early enough in the day that that we didn't have to suffer yeah. through. I mean, I was in like a wool suit. <laughs> right on. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It was, yeah, it was it was and it was black and but yeah. I. I don't remember being uncomfortable. Um, frankly, I don't know if I would have noticed if I was uncomfortable yeah. because it was such a moment. It was just so overwhelmingly insane to be there. Not just like be there. Like, I mean, I think if I had been a crew member, I would have been like, this is so cool that I'm here doing this. Yeah. But I was I was one of them. Like I was an Avenger. Yeah. Like they're in the... You, you, you know, are I, an Avenger. Yeah, right. I mean, that was... I don't think I would have noticed if I was a little hot. Yeah, no. of course. I mean, it struck me as the, uh, and I know Marvel did their own version of this, but it struck me as the living, breathing version of one of those great um, studio photographs, like everybody who signed to MGM, everybody who signed to Warner Brothers, they're in that same moment at the same time. We had that moment in Marvel. We did the 10-year anniversary, or was it 20? 10-year, 10-year anniversary. We all got together and it was it was during the shooting of that because they knew it was an opportunity. We had all the cast in one place at one time, which yeah. was an impossible logistic nightmare for the poor, poor, poor production people to get all of us in the same place at the same time with everybody's varying schedules. And so they took advantage of that. And that's when they did the Entertainment Weekly photo shoot for the 10 year anniversary of Marvel. And again, like just being in that hangar with all these people on that stadium, you know, like, I don't know if I'm alone in this or if we all felt this way, but I felt like, really? Why am I here? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know how I got here. I don't understand, but here I am. And I just have to trust. I just have to trust. This is, I'm supposed to be here that this, there's a reason that I'm here and I don't quite know what it is. I don't, I don't know if I'll ever quite know what it is. But such a great once in a lifetime moment. I mean, oh. and and the, this is my point. I mean, you've had this bell rung such a number of times. Oh, yeah. It's like great ensemble cast on Lost, great ensemble cast on The Hobbit, amazing ensemble cast on The Avengers. You know, I mean, man, you know, people go that have successful careers when they never get one of those moments. I know, I know. It's it's incredible. I went to Paris once for the Jules Verne Festival, and. Um, didn't really know who Jules Verne was, you know, didn't really have a concept of what I was stepping into. And I walked into an auditorium uh, when they introduced me and the noise, the cacophony of noise that the crowd created was so deafening that I had uh, like an almost an out of body experience. So I, I've always been extremely spiritual my whole life and I've had many incredible, um, probably to a lot of people, unbelievable, like they wouldn't believe it, experiences um, in the spiritual space. And I know what it feels like when spirit moves. You know, I know what that feels like. I've, I feel it in, in my skin. There's like a literal tingling sensation. There is a, a literal uh, sort of oxygenation. Oxygenation? Oxygenation. 
Oxenogenic. Oh, now I'm now I until a minute ago I could say that word. <laughs> Oxen. Oh, man. <laughs> Oxenization. Oxenization. Yeah. <laughs> Words. Wordsmiths of the world unite. Word, hey, what? Hey. Yeah. You write for a living. I write for a living, and I'm amazed we couldn't get to that any quicker. We just shamed ourselves in the best <laughs> way. Good. So that happens. <laughs> that, and, I, and I could, like, all of these sensations that I've had in my most heightened spiritual experiences happened in that room. And it was from the energy that those fans were putting forward and the intention that they were putting into me, that they put on me, that they, they privileged me with. And my sister was in the audience and I am never speechless. I am so verbose. It can't shut me up. And I, I, I felt completely at a loss for words. I felt completely overwhelmed. I felt um, choked up. I didn't, I, I think that was the first time I ever went, this is real. This isn't pretend like what I'm a part of isn't just bullshit. It's real. And it's connecting to real people, which is, all I care about. And somehow this is where I have been brought. And I, I felt very privileged. I felt extremely grateful and I felt crazy humbled because it doesn't make sense. Why, why am I on this stage receiving this level of love and intention and not somebody else? What twist of fate crookedly stuck me there? You know, when I, that wasn't even my intention. And I, um, I love that. I love that mystery. I love that unknown. I love that I've been asking that question for 16, 17 years, and I'm only just starting to see glimpses of the answer. Just, just starting to like pull back the veil a little bit and peek around the corner and be like, oh, <laughs> oh, there was, there was an agenda here and there wasn't at all. You know, and it's beautiful, and I'm grateful. Now, now, something about the journey and asking the question that I, I want to ask you about is um, one of the things I know about you is, like myself, you're a great reader, and uh, we first met, in fact, um, uh, when you were working on your your children's book series, The Squicker Wonkers. Yeah. And in addition to being a successful author, I, I know that uh, you've read an arsenal of books throughout your life, some of which tap into what I'm going to ask you about now, which is given that whole sense of, of being on the journey and, and, you know, connecting with the human condition, connecting with your spirituality, understanding things, what are you reading at the moment, Evangeline? Well, first, I just want to say successful author might be a stretch, but, <laughs> but, I am, but I am an avid reader. And what, I am, uh, what I'm reading at the moment is a book called Falling Upward by Father Richard Rohr, who um, uh, comes from, I, I, know, I know there's a technical term for it. I think it's something like there's a new wave of um, mystical Christianity or spiritualized Christianity. And basically, he's he's presenting an idea that is not new. It's been explored by many philosophers and theologians um, and psychologists over decades of you know people studying the human psyche. But he it's called a spiritual a spirituality for the two halves of life, and he basically suggests that life is made up of two halves: that there is our youth, and then there is our maturity. 
and that those two halves have very different intentions and ought to be lived very differently. And I think that that he, I, I presume that he felt that there was a need for this guidance because we have abandoned the second half or maybe just never really fully evolved into that space of culturally um, like institutionalizing the second half the way many ancient cultures did when they had elders who led and who were wise and who were, were the mature voices in society that we live in a culture where where maturity is meant to be mocked and where age is something to be ashamed of and where we carry on in the first half of life mentality right to the end and therefore miss what he deems to be the greatest adventure of all, which is the, the adventure into ourselves, into our wisdom and into our maturity. And, you know, I, I turned 40 in the summer of 2020 and I turned 42 in a couple months. And um, there was something profound about turning 40 for me. I have never given a shit about a single birthday in my life. And if you didn't call me on my birthday, I wouldn't notice because I forget that it was my birthday. Yeah. I, my family forgot it was my birthday one year. And the day after, my mom was like, oh, oh my God, we missed your birthday. I think I was about 14. And I was like, oh, it was my birthday yesterday. Like, I don't birthdays aren't a big thing for me. And, and partly that's just because I love sort of the, the presence of living. And I don't really know about these markers we call age and what they sort of mean. It doesn't really mean a lot to me, but 40 meant something. It just really meant something. I remember at 37 checking in and going, I'm going to be 40 in three years. What does that mean? And, and where does, where do I stand with what I've done with my life and how do I feel about that? And am I satisfied and it's after this incredible intro you just gave me, it's, it's, it's almost embarrassing to say that at 37, I was like, I don't, I'm not satisfied. I'm not, I'm not satisfied with what I've done. I'm not satisfied with where I'm at. And, and then I had to, you know, sort of really dig into why not. And what is the question that needs to be asked to get to the answer of what would satisfy me? Um, if I can have lived the, the experiences I've lived, if I can have been a part of these incredible pop culture phenomenons, like, and, and still come out of it, not fully satisfied, what, what, you know, what is going to satisfy me? Where do I need to go? And, and what has happened? Where have I gone wrong? Um, and so I, I started a journey um, at around that point that has culminated and it sort of feels like it's peaking at this moment. And this book just sort of came to me in a way that all spiritual books come to me. It's sort of through a kind of seventh degree of separation where I end up with this book and I go, oh, this feels right for where I'm at right now. And, and the book is sort of me looking, has prompted me to look back on the last 20 years of adulthood and really take stock and really take a moment to really look at it and do what you just did, which is really appreciate what I've done and where I've gone and what I've seen and who I've met and what I've been through and what that means and how that's fed me and how I've been nourished and how I've been blessed and how I've been cared for and, and my trials and my tribulations and the, the ways I've come out of that so that I can turn my face forward and look at the horizon and think about what it would mean to live another 20 years and how I want to go about that. And then until I've really looked back and done that work and really been still with myself and, and looked at my life, the first half of my life, 
that that I will move into the second half without closure and without a sense of of place of a place to start from. And so that's kind of what I'm spiritually in the in the process of doing over the last five-ish years, but really intensely over the last two years. And then, you know, really looking forward to over the next few weeks or six or so weeks with you is looking back and seeing the journey that I've been on. Yeah. I'm looking forward to chatting to you about that too, which is as good a time as any to say that, yeah, this is an episode of Hard Degree, but it is also the debut introductory episode of a sub-series that we're doing, myself and Evangeline, entitled Evangeline Lily's Library of the Soul. And what we're going to do is take a step back and look at Evangeline, uh, Evangeline's journey throughout the last 15 years or so, um, charted through her personal development and her personal relationship with spirituality and belief and the human condition. And the signposts along the, that way will be five novels, that, or five books rather, that have been tremendously important to Evangeline. Is that not right, mate? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And it sounds, I mean, I hear you say it and I just sort of cringe a little bit because it sounds yeah. so fucking narcissistic and like totally up my own ass to be like, oh, look at the books I've read. <laughs> but I just, I feel like, you know, if, we, if I don't, if I don't do this open with an open heart and if I don't really just get get over myself and my need to be any one thing which would be impressive to the rest of the world of like and just start playing with my life then I won't I will miss it all. I just will miss yeah. it all. So for me this is like one of the first steps towards learning how to publicly play instead of publicly present myself. Ta-da, here I am, buttoned up, know what I'm going to say, very careful, stay away from territory that could potentially get me in hot water. Like, just play, just be me and have fun. And that's for me what these following weeks are going to be about talking to you. I can't wait. I chose, I I didn't really choose you or us, and but like we sort of organically just came to this because we had a conversation for your um. Uh, Forbidden Planet podcast. Yes. And there was such an ease of conversation and it was so fun that you and I were both like, we got to do that again. <laughs> yeah, right on. Like, right how on. do we make that happen? What do we got to do yeah. to do that again? That was fun. Yeah. And and so I think what was really cool is I remember, you know, we brainstormed a few ideas and then I just, I'll never forget the day I know where I was. I know what I was doing. I was pacing outside of a secondhand store where I was about to go in and donate clothes. And there was chickens. You'll, you'll probably remember, yeah. you might remember. I remember chicken. this. Yeah. Yeah. Because in Hawaii, there's chickens everywhere. And I remember you just saying to me, listen, my guts are telling me from what I know of you, you love books. And, and from what I know of you, you are on a very intentional journey in your life and that books have influenced that journey. Like, I feel like there's something there. And I was like, uh-oh, this guy and I have something. Like, we're in sync. There's something connective about, like, he understands something about me without knowing me deeply. And I am revealing, clearly unconsciously revealing a lot to him that um, by virtue of who he is and, like, how he presents himself and how he walks through the world or, or navigates through conversation. 
And, and so, you know, I'm here to play and have fun with you and talk to my new friend. And hopefully by the end of this, you're not my new friend anymore. You're my old friend. And um, hopefully we don't, we don't gouge each other's eyes out because we kind of, we think really differently about things. We think very differently about things. And that, that will be interesting because I'm with you when I, when I, when I heard myself do do that introduction, which is important to do, I had an out-of-body experience at the same time where I was just looking at all my mates in the in the you know the bars and pubs of central London, media hangouts, you know, wherever they may be, whether it's D Hems in uh, Macclesfield Street or it's uh, um the Cork and Bottle in Leicester Square, all my old uh, all my old journalists, media buddies just shaking their heads going, what the fuck is wrong with Sumner? Has he totally lost it? Like all of him think I'm the least spiritual person I've ever met. I think my kids think I'm the, I'm the least spiritual person I've ever met. Uh, and uh, and but that's the point. You're having this conversation with me, someone who is not predisposed to faith, someone whose grandparents were communist, somebody who only ever heard my grandma May Sumner's insane theories about the corruption within the church as I was growing up and for a long period of time believed it hook line and sinker and I'm sure part of it is true but I watched her you know um, swearing at and abusing um, Christian callers at the front door living through all that entertainment and the fact that you know the fact that I'm here wanting to have a conversation about your spiritual journey seen through the prism of the books that you've read I realised the sheer amount of scepticism those who know me really well will be adopting when they hear this part of the conversation. The whole, you know, by the way, can we talk more about the Avengers Endgame and what happened in Atlanta when you're shooting that amazing scene? They're like, yeah, that's the Andrew Sumner we know. But this bit, but this bit is the journey, you know, and the reality is that if you don't throw throw the dice and take a risk every now and again, and just, you know, look at things that you may not be associated with or associate yourself with. But my mantra is you've got to have an open mind. You've got to embrace everything and at least have the conversation, you know, and and I think that's what we're going to get into. And I'm fascinated to have this conversation with you, a person of faith who, like me, has been on a journey, but in a very different journey from a very different place, from a very different time and generation even. I know that we're doing this publicly, but what I'm the most excited about and interested in and curious about is that by virtue of the structure of this podcast, you have agreed to read five spiritual books in a very short period of time. Books that I read over... Never having read any before, by the way. That's that's the thing. Oh my God, really? Yeah, yeah. So nothing ever... So, you know, I, I I don't think I've ever read uh, the, the only perhaps um, uh, spiritual book I, I can ever think of, of reading that would qualify like that um, would be um, The Atkins Diet. I think that's the only spiritual <laughs> book I've ever attempted. And I, I failed at that, by the way. So Hey, hey that's somebody's spirituality, right? That's somebody's got it. Right exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think, but that's, but that's what, so I am like... I love that people are listening and I'm so excited to hear from the listeners, like how they're responding to these conversations. Um, That really gets me excited, but nothing gets me more excited than like, I can't wait to hear what you, what your perspective on these books will be because 
I've read them in a vacuum. I read them in my own experience. I read them through the eyes of my own faith. And that faith has evolved and shifted and changed, but ultimately it's the same. It's just always been there. It's always been with me since as long as I can remember. I believe in the things unseen and I get so much nourishment from that faith. And, and so to me, like I read these books and they're food for my soul and I get so much out of them. And it's just a fascinating experiment for me to hear what you will think Somebody who doesn't believe what I believe, who doesn't subscribe to the things I subscribe to, who doesn't necessarily even have interest in this stuff. And in some ways, I feel like a total slave driver that you're now reading these books because of me. But, I, but I'm but, so... But I, I do like reading. So, you know, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I do like absorbing new information. Yeah, even if it's not within my wheelhouse. To absorb and maybe not so much pleasurable reading time, if I want <laughs> They're very, they're very dense. They're sort of uh, intellectually and theologically dense books. Yeah. Some of them, you know, a lot of them, and um, and so I'm, I'm very excited because I, I like, I really like hearing other people's perspectives on essentially in a very sort of uh, actory, a narcissistic way on me. Like I like reading my fans' comments on Instagram, even if they're negative, because I'm just so interested in how I'm being perceived. Or so interested in not necessarily how I'm being perceived, but how whatever idea I'm discussing is being perceived. Because it's really easy to get in my own head about, oh, this makes sense and that doesn't make sense. And then you hear somebody else's perspective and you go, wait a minute. Okay, wait, I thought it made sense, but now I'm not so sure. And then and then that's where you can really refine your belief. Like that's where you really get clear on what you know beyond a shadow of a doubt within yourself, deep within yourself is true. And like, it's okay if somebody else doesn't, and it's okay, you know, if you and I disagree, but I want to, I really want to hear what you think. I really am interested in your perspective. Mate, I am also excited for a number of reasons, not the least of which is that it has been a very long time since anyone has told me to read something and I've read it. And it's been so long ago that the last person to do that was my high school English teacher, a great teacher, a guy called Alban Furness. And uh, he's the last person who ever made me read any books I hadn't selected for myself. Because I did an entire English degree and did well at an English degree while essentially not reading the curriculum and just reading what I wanted to read. (laughs) Uh, And and ever since then, I've been completely self-selecting. You know, I'm massively solipsistic when it comes to my reading habits. You know, and people often recommend books. I'm like, even send me them or give them to me. Oh, thank you so much, mate. It's very kind of you. And uh, I, but I've just always read what I want. But I'm setting that. Not that I'm saying that's a brilliant thing. And not that I'm like, you know, blowing my own horn and going, oh, fuck yeah, I'm the man. I just read what I want. But that yeah. just ha- has been either a good thing or a limitation or both. Yeah. But yeah. this time, I'm genuinely going to read these books that you have selected to to narrate your story with and for me to share with you as we go along. So I'm really looking forward to it, mate. It's gonna be a no, it's gonna be a novel experience for me. In advance, I uh, you're welcome and I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and I think so what would be I think what would be interesting for the people uh, listening to the podcast is to just, uh, it's five books and five sequences in your life that we're going to go through over the next five weeks. And then we'll probably round up with a concluding episode just to talk about it all. But what are those five books in case anybody listening to this wants to read along with us, Evangeline? 
right? Or order them in advance, right? Because yeah. a lot of people. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so the first book is going to be a book by Rick Joyner, who is um, a well-known Christian author in America um, and also a well-known Christian prophet in America. And it's called The Final Quest. And, and really, it's a two-part series. It's called The Final Quest and The Call, and together they're called The Vision. But specifically, The Final Quest is, um, is the book that I'm pinpointing in this moment. Of course, these five books that I've selected are like just cherry-picking out of, you know, so many spiritual books I've read in my life, which it's astounding to me that you haven't, because I've just... I feel like I've probably read more of those, um, maybe more of those than novels or, you know, any other work. Um, but they weren't picked because they're the best and they weren't picked because they mean the most. They were, I, I literally asked for guidance. I said, I don't know, how am I going to pick five out of the 50 or whatever it is? And uh, one day, just randomly in the middle of meditation, like, just it just popped out of the ethers and five titles went boom 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 and I was like oh, I get a pen <laughs> <laughs> and so the first one is the final quest by Rick Joyner and the second one is conversations with God by Neil Donald Walsh that one I don't really know how to to guide and direct it's it, it's a three part series it's a three part book um, and all three parts are enormous huge books to tackle. So let's just call it the first one. And let's just say, if you make it through even the first half of the first one, you can participate because you'll, you'll get the idea. You'll get the gist. They're very big books. They're dense. They're very cerebral, um, but, but formative for me. And then the third one is the red tent by Anita Damon. And um, the, that one is, she is a, a Jewish scholar. I believe she's based out of New York and um, it's a really fascinating look at the life of Dina, who is a character who appears in one line of the Bible in the Old Testament. She's Jacob's daughter, who's a very prominent character in the Old Testament. But her whole life is summed up in one line. And this book is an attempt to elaborate on what her, her entire story might have been in a fuller, more three-dimensional way that offers women a look into, um, women and men, people, a look into, a glimpse into maybe what the female characters of the Bible might have actually been experiencing. Um, By the way, then, that, that's the first book that I've, I've been aware of who the author is. So I'm right. particularly fascinated to, uh, I, I'm, I'm aware of that book, but of course I've never read it. So I'm particularly right. fascinated to check that out. She's a well. She's a wonderful author. I mean, out of the five books, she is she is truly a consummate author. Whereas I would say yeah. the other books, there I don't think any of them are self-professed authors in any way, shape, or form. They're people who have received insider wisdom like a lightning rod from somewhere else and felt the need to put it on paper. And I have connected to what they've put down on paper. Um, so the fourth one is the Presence Process by Michael Brown, who is a South African man who suffered from Horton's disease and went on a spiritual quest to um, relieve himself of the debilitating chronic pain in his brain and discovered this process that not only relieved his symptoms and his pain, but also brought him into a greater sense of presence and awareness and being. Um, and, uh, and then the last one is uh, the Workaholics Anonymous Book of Recovery. Talk about utilitarian. I mean, it is like 
the farthest cry from authorship. It's a, essentially it's the 12 step program book that would be the parallel to Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous and came to me through a job I did where I was performing and my character was an, an addict and I was studying addiction. Um, and so that's it. That's the five books. They cover a span in my life of 20 years from before I became an actress to the present moment right now today. And I invite all of you to come along with us on this journey. I think it could be a really interesting, um, exciting exploration if we're all reading and chatting together at the same time. It actually occurred to me as you were saying um, how you, you know you just you're interested in this experiment and being a part of this this process, even though you don't subscribe to these ideas. Um, there's this passage in uh, Falling Upward, the book that I'm reading right now by Richard Rohr. This is that the one I'm reading yeah. right now. Um, that sort of I think describes it beautifully. It says, in fact, the best of modern theology is revealing a strong turn towards participation as opposed to religion as mere observation, affirmation, moralism, or group belonging. There is nothing to join, only something to recognize, suffer, and enjoy as a participant. You are already in the eternal flow that Christians would call the divine life of the Trinity. And all you have to do to carry on is participate in this thing we call life and just be a part of it. And so I think, you know, I, I, I presume that you and I in, in deciding to do this together have just decided we just want to participate. We just want to be a part of it. We just want to get in there and get our, you know, roll up our sleeves and get, get a little bit dirty in this stuff that can be so precious and so divisive and so kind of difficult to explore when you don't agree. And I think we are excited to maybe not agree or yeah. maybe agree. Who knows? Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, exactly. Maybe it'll be a, a non-agree. Maybe it'll be a soft agree. Maybe it'll be a hard agree. Whatever it's going to be, I, I, I am genuinely going to enjoy the journey because as you've touched upon a number of times, Evangeline, this is something that I'd never do in a million years. So so therefore, you know, if I'm going to start reading um, spiritual books or self-help books or somewhere between the dark confluence between the two, I might as well be doing it with you in a very structured way about books that are very meaningful to you. So this in itself, to me, is a grand experiment, which I can't wait to, as you say, roll my sleeves up and get into with you. I'm, I'm just looking forward to the dialogue, the discourse, and seeing how I feel about, about everything and, and listening to your experience as well. Well, I'm so honored. I honestly, I didn't know. I mean, I knew, but I didn't know just how outside of the comfort zone this was for you. So I'm so yeah. honored that you are trusting me with that experience. That's that's going to be really fun. I'm yeah, I mean, I mean, when I suggested five books, I thought we'd be talking about Moby Dick, about Macbeth, <laughs> about, you know, or, you know, The Big Sleep by Raymond Chandler. I was thinking, yeah, man, I'm really looking forward to talking to Evangeline about The Big Sorry. Sleep. I've got so much to say about that book. Oh, right. Okay. Well, yeah, we're doing spiritual books then. Okay. <laughs> and it will be, but it's a fascinating, it'll be a fascinating conversation, certainly fascinating to me. And I hope everybody listening to this, um, you know, gets involved as much as you want to get involved and approaches it with the open minds that, that we've both got about this process. Hard agree there. Right on, mate. Right I on. Amen. And then I was like, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Amen and hard agree. Is, Amen is and hard agree. So, so this has been 
um, hard agree. But in reality, it has been the debut episode, the introductory episode of Evangelina Lee's Library of the Soul with the one, the only, Kate Austin, Tariel, the Wasp, Hope Van Dyne, Evangelina Lee, and myself, Andrew Sumner. And we're looking forward to coming at you every week for the next five weeks with a different book and a different slice of experience from Evangeline's life every week. And we hope you're going to join us and uh, and uh, enjoy yourselves. So excited. Yeah. Come, come play with us. Yeah. Come and play with us. Well said, mate. You take care of yourself. Have a lovely week. And I can't wait to see you next week for Final Quest by Rick Joyner. That's our, that's our book number one, right, mate? Cheers. I'll see you then. Take care, pal. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Hard Agree. This episode was edited by John Horsley and Kenrick Regan, and our theme music, Golden, was written and performed for this show by Liverpool's finest band, Denio. Hard Agree is a production of The Spoilerverse and myself, Andrew Sumner.